Ask the GMs, episode one. Why we love D&D, why we left D&D. Good evening, listeners. This is Ask the, the GMs podcast. We're a podcast discussing RPGs, RPG philosophy, and board gaming. For introductions, we have Zach speaking right now. I've been playing board games and RPGs since about 1992. I'm very familiar with D&D 2nd Edition, 3rd Edition, 3.5, Pathfinder, 4th Edition, 5th Edition, Call of Cthulhu, and several other systems. We're going to throw it over to Pat. Uh, this is Pat. I have been playing D&D since, and uh, DMing around 2003, I'd say. Um, much like the rest of these fellas, kind of stuck in a forever DM rut there for a while. Um, I started in 3.5. I did a majority of my DMing as far as D&D is concerned in 4th edition. And I've dabbled around in 5th edition. I'm not an expert, but I've played enough to understand. RC. Uh, uh, I'm RC. I'm a second generation D&D player. Uh, I got introduced to D&D when I was like eight and started running games and when I was 13, so we're looking at about 2008. Um, I was the forever DM until I stopped DMing sometime in around 2015. Um, and I just recently got back into it again. I'm familiar with 3rd edition, 4th edition, 5th edition, Pathfinder, Call of Cthulhu. Um, I've played some other games. Paranoia among, is among some of the other ones. And Ian. All right, everyone. Ian Harper here. Um, I started out... I actually started out playing... I was introduced to role-playing systems in like 1991 or 92. One of my buddies introduced me to Palladium and Rifts. It's a really old throwback system. I don't think you can even find it anymore. Um, but I got introduced to D&D in like 94, around the same time I started playing Magic. Um, that was like AD&D, so that was second edition. I moved into third edition. I skipped over fourth, went into fifth. Um, I'm really into Call of Cthulhu right now. Played a lot of other systems, but I'm I'm really into Call of Cthulhu. That's the big thing right now. That's the new hotness. I think we all are into Call of Cthulhu right now. Yeah, For sure. Everyone else is flexing all their other RPGs. I, I just threw in D&D. Like, I was. <laughs> oh, and Zach, you, Zach, you know, as a, I was also a huge consumer of White Wolf uh, what, the White Wolf system, too. Very, very big consumer of that one for a while. Yep, World of Darkness and Vampire. I also played and ran that for years. Really good system. Okay, we'd also like to shout out Cape Fear Games as our local friendly game store. They don't sponsor us, but if they happen to in the future, that would be great. Hurrah. Okay, and tonight's topic, so everyone's knows, is why we love D&D and why we left D&D. It's not that we hate the game. We do love it. It's just... We need to all take a break. It's kind of a toxic relationship right now. What a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> okay, uh, starting with love, we're going to focus on love for the start of this and end in hate, not because we want to get everyone boiled up. We, 
we need to exercise some demons. So starting off with love, uh, I'm going to go monsters. I love D&D's monsters. Whether they're Agreed. original, whether they're interpretations, beholders, ropers, the rust monster, which was a toy at one point. I, I have to agree with you, Zach, though, especially the beholder. The, the beholder is one of my all-time favorite D&D creatures. Easily one of my all-time favorite creatures, the beholder. Um, love the black dragon. Love all the different races and planescape. Really creative, really creative monsters, especially once they started getting into planescape and some of the different um, islands of terror and Ravenloft. Get really creative, really these really gritty monsters that you didn't really see in any other system. And RC, I've always been a big fan of the vast variety of undead that they leave available to you. Um, they're there's a good selection to pick from, whether they're from like local historical lore, or it's just something you never heard of before, like a Bodak. The hell is a Bodak? I'll, <laughs> I'll have you know that I played a campaign as Bo Derek the Bodak. Bo Derek the Bodak. And, and um, as as for me, for monsters, my favorite monster of D anD would have to say is the Lily Goblin. I've slayed many of them. Many have been characters in games I've run. Um, to me, not only are they like, you know, kind of little peons, but they're also some sort of a uh, comic repri- reprieve in, in games I play. Because, you know, if I'm DMing a game, not always as a goblin, a bad guy. Usually they're, you know, I play up to the mischievousness of them. And, uh, yeah. Or the hapless fools. Yeah, or the hapless fools, or they they fill in a lot of slots, much like zombies or undead, but they have more character to them, I believe. Also, at low levels, goblins are still deadly. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For for uh, especially in uh, AD and D in second edition, up until probably level three, they're they're lethal. Would uh mm-hmm. would like to share goblin stories since it seems like something we all have a history with then <laughs> well i think everyone everyone's had a party adopt at least one goblin well that's this is part for the course um two goblins in a trench coat um let's see firing goblins as weapons um throwing goblins i don't know their their, their uses are innumerable um, goblins on flying carpets. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, what do you call three goblins in a flipped over wagon? What? A fortress of doom. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. that, that was awesome. Uh, some other monsters I'd like to throw out. I'm a big fan of some of the demons. I like all of the greater demons. I like their art design. I like their... They have a lot of character. I'd also like to throw in some of the inevitables. And some of the rarer monsters. The oddball monsters you don't always see. I know RC throw out the Bodak. And that's definitely a classic. Yep. Um, well, I, I know this one's going to be an obvious one. But I've always been a huge fan of the Death Knight. Really just an awesome... You can you can do a lot with the death. They make a great villain if, if you're doing the if you're doing kind of the arc the arch villain type of thing. The the death knights are great. 
And I'll admit, I have yet to use one in a campaign, but it's always been there in the back of my mind. Oh, I, ha- I had one where um, the villain for the first chapter were these twin brothers that were Death Knights. Oh, God. Yeah. Nice. I've always wanted to run a scenario where it was um, a group of doppelgangers, and it was kind of a situation where all the PCs kind of like had to fight their equal or they could choose to fight each other, but they would have, you know, a chance of hitting their buddy rather than, the you know, doppelganger. I think it's either um, Frazzer Blue or Gratz that if you're fighting his lair, he can basically make someone a doppelganger, like a mere copy. Nice. Okay, in a similar vein, because we do love monsters, we're also going to cover D&D art. There's a lot of different art through D&D. In our little internal chat, we've shared a lot of, or at least I've shared a lot of ones that I happen to love. However, the overall standout, and I do think the best piece of D&D art, is the Advanced Player's Handbook. From, are you talking about from AD&D, from the second edition? Yeah, with the Goblin. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that is a classic. I was going to say... I was going to say all of the the Dragonlance art from second edition is really what got me into D&D originally. The the person that introduced me to D&D was a um he was a Dragonlance expert. That was like his jam. And the artwork from Dragonlance, all, all that all of the the books, all you know the novels and everything, the the artwork was awesome. And uh this may just be a quick reference for anybody who, you know, is fairly new to the game cuz Let's be honest, D&D grew massively over the last couple of years, and they, there's probably people that haven't seen it before, but the the piece they're referring to is this massive stone demon with gems in its eyes, and the party is stealing them out of its eyes. Um, it's worth looking up if you get the chance. Um, I'd say, as far as artwork for me, um, what really drew me in whenever I was first like messing with 3.5 and got into 4th edition any of the dragon artwork, because, you know, young teenage boy, like, of course, dragon's awesome, right? Um, but particularly the blue dragon was my favorite, like, artwork of any of the dragons, because I liked how he was kind of more muscular forward. And, I don't know, he looked more aggressive and just, like, more like he's going to kick some ass. And for you, RC? I, I'll, I'll admit, uh, for me, a lot of the art that I really, really enjoyed... Um, came from the person that introduced me to D&D, which was my dad. Um, and he started playing back in first and second edition, and a lot of the art back then was really campy. It was it was, it was, was fantasy, but it was comic book-style fantasy that like, just isn't captured in the modern versions of D&D nowadays. Oh, and I'd say um, on in fourth edition, on front of the Monster Manual, the Orcus on there, I, I particularly like that. He's referring to Monster Manual 1, where Orcus is charging at the cover. It's probably my second favorite Orcus. My favorite is the Ed Green one that appeared on Dragon Magazine. It literally looks like it's a Roddy Dames Dio album cover. You could just put Dio above his wings and you'd be sold. Don't you have uh, that shirt, Zach? I don't have that shirt. I do have, the, I do have a print signed by him. Another throwout is also uh, Temple of Elemental Evil, yeah, which, which I think is a Parkinson cover. That's a that's a cl- another classic. I love that one. Yep, I love the gargoyles on it. I've, I've always forgotten about them, but we we had an interesting story with the gargoyles not that long ago. 
moving on to the next topic, uh, the different roles provided by different classes. And for me, since I started in second edition, it like your class really, really mattered. And it's what role you individually felt fielded and what it, role you fielded as the party member. I really like that like strong differential you got out of it. Yeah, second second edition did a good job of making those separations and the having the the classes really shine where they where they were supposed to. Um, third edition did it to a pretty good point too, but I think after that it kind of got lost. I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel. Um, um I'll let you go put first, Pat. Oh, uh, I, I believe Zach and uh, Ian covered it pretty well. I was wanting to interject with what was everyone's favorite class real quick. I'm I'm going to go ahead and start off and say mine was Cleric. Um, mainly because, I don't know, just through all my playing of other like video games and stuff, always there was never anybody in the support role, and I was always just like, well, let me help people out. So, I don't know, that's what always landed me in Cleric. What about RC. you, RC? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll admit I I typically lead towards cleric too. Um, <laughs> I I was always the person that wanted to play a wizard, but always ended up being the cleric. Um, I, I've had a blast with clerics. I found ways to finagle them around to make them wizards, especially in the older editions. Oh yeah, my yeah. my favorite way to play cleric, RC. Sorry, uh, was. One that's like not super holy roller, you know. I've I've been trying to play that cleric forever, but go, uh, go ahead, Ian. Oh, I yeah, I guess it depends. I I usually end up find I usually find myself ending up playing a rogue or a wizard, usually especially in three and three point five because I'm such a I'm such a skill whore. Uh, I love having all the skill points. <laughs> uh, I am a rogue, ride or die. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. Was there a? Was there's the the devil horns as soon as you said that. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you did set an old well, you set an old lady's house on fire once before, but we won't get into it. I guess there's a big divide between me and RC and Zach and Ian. <laughs> uh, Helpers, <laughs> uh, uh, sir, sir, sir. I was not a uh, specifically focused. Rogue, when I set that house on fire, I was a monk. And yeah, and I'll well. like it, as far as like clerics go, I, Zach got to see like recently a couple of you guys got to see what like my version of a cleric is. My version of a cleric is not a very like super helpful guy. He's he's here to whoop some ass. Yeah, for me, I I, I guess like my crusader. Yeah. Well, they have like that war domain cleric, which is pretty nice. I don't know. For me, lately these days, I my character has to have some sort of martial capability. I I have to hit somebody with a stick, I guess. Like if you can't do that, I don't want to be playing. Okay, um, I do want to call out fourth edition. It was either the warlord or the warhawk class they added. You were kind of like the psychops class. Like you were kind of a, like a weaker fighter with some diplomacy skills. But you filled that role of like you were better at controlling the battlefield for your allies. It was it was the warlord for sure. Um, there were a lot of abilities that allowed you to maneuver people around the battlefield and give them additional abilities during combat. 
Wolfpack tactics, baby. That's what that's all we need. <laughs> yeah, the um the thir- the third edition Dragonlance stuff they released, they had the combat tactician prestige class that was very similar to that. Uh it, if if we're gonna briefly jump into the prestige classes, I will just throw a quick shout out for my favorite one from the older editions. And I think I I think it made its way into Pathfinder too, is the Mystic Theurge, which is the you're a wizard cleric. Oh yeah, for sure. That's best of both worlds. Also, for some of our newer players, a prestige class was basically an evolved version of your basic class. So you were a fighter, but through some either RP or other selections, you can become a more refined fighter. Yeah, you had to meet certain requirements before you could take the class. And in 4th uh, edition, wasn't it called Paragon levels or something, like Beyond 11? Yeah, that was the top tier stuff, eventually. Next up um, on top... Good. <laughs> Next up on topics is uh, the different races feeling clearly different. This is usually more of a throwback to older versions of D&D, but they were very defined. This may be breaching into a further topic, but... um. At least in the older editions, you were very, you weren't hamstringed, but you were given a direction by like the lore that was based around your class, when, or, or based by your race whenever you picked them. Um, like I think very specifically, typically dwarves weren't wizards. It was a very rare circumstance whenever they were. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys had anything else to throw in on that. Yeah, usually the the way it always worked with us in my older groups is the typical stuff like if you were a dwarf, you were likely to be lawful. If you were an elf, you were likely to be chaotic. Um, like you said, RC, the, the, the lore surrounding the race kind of gave you an idea of the direction that you should go in. Um, for instance, that, that was always really big in second edition when we were running games in the 90s that everybody wanted to be a drow. Everybody wanted to be dritz. But you had to like understand the lore of the drow that like that was a one in a million shot. There aren't that many people like dritz in the drow community. So you're not going to run across a whole party of chaotic good drow. It's not likely to happen. Um, yeah. So I feel like in, in second edition, you were more bound by that. But as the editions went on, they really, really lo- lo- like loosened it up on you to, to allow those, you know, there's a whole community of good drow and they're tucked away somewhere and nobody knew about them, you know, however you want to spin it. But the second edition, everyone was a lot more, um, I feel like they were a lot more, they held more, more fast to the, I guess the, the stereotypes of the race as they were described in the material. And if you guys don't mind me interjecting real quick, like there, there used to be some, I don't want to like hamper, but like, like going into a topic that we're going to get into later, but there used to be like some rhyme or reason to like having to hunt through lore for things like that. And I'm sure the majority of you guys are well aware that they're like, at one point or another, there were good drow gods, and like specifically, one of them is still alive. And I think, uh, 
I don't remember her name offhand, but like more specifically, she's called the Moon Dancer. And like, unless you're like really hunting through lore, you're not gonna find them. And uh, my thing is like, I feel the races should be very much determined based on the setting. Like, you know, we're not saying, hey, you can't be a good goblin if that's what you want to be. But the villagers in these towns have had bad run-ins with goblins, so they're not going to regard you as well. You know, I, I feel like that needs to be like a big consideration versus just like, nope, goblins aren't good or bad. They're just goblins now. You can play them however you want. Well, you know? and and tr- and true, they're going to get that negative reaction from c- because the NPCs don't know what your alignment is. Do you know what I mean? And and biases are a real world thing. That's just that's how, how it is. That's <laughs> that's how that's yeah, exactly. It's just a fact of life. Yeah. And to pose a counter argument, not that I'm against anything you guys said in terms of the lore reasons. The races had mechanical reasons too. It was lore based, but it was very mechanical. Oh, sure. To, for, you know, balancing it, you know, yeah, the, the balancing of, you know, to make sure that, you know, one race wasn't, be- you know, mechanically better than the other. Well, not only that, it's like, no, the dwarf got the bonus to toughness and con. And if anybody else remembers, there used to very specifically be negative uh, characteristic uh, changes that if you win a oh. certain a certain race. See now, RC. That's what I'm used to. When I yeah. went to fifth, when I went to fifth edition and saw that I, I was like picking an elf, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna take my hit to con, but whatever. And I'm looking through the book, and I'm like, oh, there's no racial penalties at all. Like that was a surprise to me. Actually, I'm used to having to like take the you know racial penalty for being a drow or an elf or whatever, uh, you know, whatever the. It was something that your character had to deal with. Exactly. And and you and I usually dealt with it like through RP, like as part of my story or backstory or something. And and I would try to RP it if I could. Um, yeah. but I, I was actually really shocked to see that there's no more racial penalties. Yep. And and going into those penalties like having negatives to your character I almost adds to your characters as they're more relatable. Just like um you know, Superman, he has, you know, okay, kryptonite, sure, whatever. But, you know, the Hulk has anger issues and has to deal with that. So, like, I think flaws are something that help bring the character to life. I agree. It's flavor. It adds flavor to the game. It adds flavor to the experience. Yeah. Also. Oh, go ahead. Also, it's just, like, the reason why, you know, one race doesn't have any negatives to them because they're humans. They're the average. That's why, like, you know, the elf was more dexterous. Like, there were mechanically sound reasons why there was positives and negatives. Yeah. I, so, I think that's what got lost. I think that's what got lost in 5th edition. Yeah. Um. So I have something uh, you guys might not agree with me. I don't know. Uh, it might be controversial. Um, no, hit, it. hit me, man. Hit me. <laughs> We're going deep. So going deep. Whenever I was DMing, you know, because I DM'd a lot in fourth edition, a little bit in 3.5, and I would come up and it's like, hey guys, let's play. And like there was a time whenever I was DMing a group of six people, 
I wouldn't like to go beyond that many, but every, you know, I want I wanted everybody to play, you know, the characters they wanted to play. But then it's like, okay, well, here's uh, Tabaxi and then ASMR and uh, uh, Jin or something, and it's just this gaggle that does not jive together. And I don't know. Whenever I first came to D and D, like my head canon was Tolkien kind of world, like. We got dwarves, humans, elves, hobbits, orcs, goblins, you know, there. That's what we got. Um, and every, everything else is just, like, extra. Um, so, does does anyone, like, do, do you require groups, like, hey, stay within these limits kind of deal? Or is that, is that being negative because it ruins your headcanon? I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Um, I'll let everybody go first, but as somebody who, I and I feel bad for anybody that ever has to run a game for more than five people, um, do not run a game for more than six, because I've, I've run the games for nine people before. Oh, no way, dude. No. It's horrendous. No. Uh, uh, just no. Yeah. So, no, don't do that. RC, RC what, what you're saying is you feel bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> you're a saint, bud. You may you may be wearing all black, but you're a saint. <laughs> I will so, say that I have denied certain races. I've even denied certain classes. Some of it's not even headcanon. A lot of it's I don't want to deal with it, or I felt that the design of that actual character did not reflect everyone else, and I did not want a power dif- differential. Um you guys, I think you guys will understand what I'm about to say when I drop this book and say, I banned this book from my last group, the Tome of Battle. The, 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 the classes, it, it basically turns your D&D game into like Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, you'll have to look up the Tome of Battle sometime. It's got a couple of classes in there. One of them's the Warblade. You can jump like thirty feet in the air as a free action while you're attacking or something like that. There's all it it it's it it like I said, it turns your it turns the game into kind of like an anime style. Your characters are flying around, you know, fighting in midair and stuff like it's very crazy. I, I had to ban that one. Yeah, I mean if if that's what you're looking for, sure, but <laughs> not what I'm looking for, to, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, well also you don't want that one random guy's like that's me he's like no boss everybody or nobody yeah, it, Go ahead. no th- that's what the tome of battle is for is is everybody's character should be from the tome of battle and it should be a it should be that type of themed game this is probably jumping ahead into another topic but um i'm gonna jot that down because i have never heard of the tome of battle but it it reminds me of some of the like more recent experience or, or just like what if scenario characters that I've built for the current edition of D and D where I'm like, yeah, this is kind of ridiculous. Look uh, up the, look up the Warblade class in particular. Okay. And, and there, I mean, this will be in the pet peeves episode, I'm sure. But like, you know, my a buddy of mine, he always wanted to play something as weird as possible, like 
he always wanted to look up homebrews. I'm like, dude, just keep it within player's handbook, like one and two for fourth edition. Every group's got one. Every group's got one, Pat. And it's just like, I don't, I don't, I mean, I want him to play. I want everybody to play and have fun. And he's my friend, but it's just like, dude. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I have one that we'll come back to later. It's going to be champion fighter in which I have a lot to say. And then as a similar topic in in terms of focusing on race, I think Warhammer Fantasy 4th Edition covered that quite well in terms of the stat pools were different in terms of, hey, you get to roll this, some of them you get more more D10 or you get like a plus 20 instead of a plus 30. So it's not that there wasn't necessarily racial negative or bonus, just your limits in certain stats were more pronounced if you were an orc, a goblin, an elf, a half elf, or a dwarf. Also, the fact in that game, if you do just totally roll randomly, you're going to be human ninety percent of the time. I thought that was a cool aspect of the. I only got, I only made one Warhammer Fantasy character, um, but I really did like the the uh, the way the random charts worked in character creation. I thought that was a really cool concept. Yeah, I can agree. Whenever I joined in you guys as a group a couple months back, and we just dropped in and I rolled up a random character. I was like, yeah, I'm happy with this character right off the bat. I'm like, it's got character. He's actually got something to work with. I could do this. Same. I, I, a similar situation with one of Zach's game. I, I think I rolled up a it, RC of totally random. Um, and, and I was really pleased with what I had. I was like, I, yeah, I'm going to have fun with this. This is going to be good. And the cool thing about that character generation, they all jived in the setting. None of them felt out of place. They all felt like they belonged. Also, if you're a human, you got the dooming. Another cool concept. Yeah. Moving on to the next topic, lore. I will not say all D&D lore is great, but there's some standout ones. There's a lot of good bad guys, demons, or gods. Or just items that definitely have stellar lore. I, I know I'm going to catch a lot of crap for this, and Zach's not going to be surprised at what I say here. But my favorite D and D setting, as far as lore goes, is Forgotten Realms. It, it hands down, easily, easily, no contest. But is that because you came from it from the perspective of the books that were written in the Forgotten Realms? So actually, so the first, so well, the first campaign setting I ever played in and read the books on was Dragonlance, and I went from Dragonlance to Forgotten Realms and then into Ravenloft from there. But I think I liked Forgotten Realms so much because of the, uh, I mean, just as the name of the realm implies, Forgotten Realms is is there's so much going on beneath the surface. Of forgotten of of the of the planet, there's lost ruins that people have forgotten about. There's a lot of um, I felt like Forgotten Realms opened up an opportunity for DMs to put in completely random lost ruined civilizations that nobody ever heard of because they could be in some far flung corner of Faerun that you didn't know about. Um, I will agree with that entirely. You probably gave it the best defense that I could have given it. <laughs> what can I say? And, and, and then you throw in the Underdark. 
not only is there a surface world, but there's an underground that that's as big as the surface world. So I'm going to dive in there off of that. Um, Cause Ian, you were just saying that part of your love of forgotten realm is how it's kind of open-ended. So it kind of leads into you being able to like create your own world within it. Oh yeah. So I'm going to say Planescape now. Yo. Oh yeah. I, I will. I will completely agree with that. I haven't played it, but uh, Zach's given me the rundown on the lore. Cause it, I come to find out like I'm making a setting that is a lot like Planescape. And Zach's like, yeah, that's Planescape. And I'm like, what? And just the open-endedness of that and just, you know, the the universe is your oyster, essentially. And then you have this hub of, you know, Zach was explaining to me that you might see, like, angels and demons throwing dice down the street and so on and so forth. And that even harkens back to my previous... Um, Whoa, whenever I was talking about, like, oh, my players want to play all these, like, zany characters in a group. Hey, that would work just fine in Planescape because that's where, you know, all the different planes meet. So it would make sense for us to have, you know, all these different people from all these different places. I will 100% agree with you that Planescape is probably... It's probably not the only place or setting that you could do that with, but it's definitely like the premier location if you want to have weird, wacky, zany characters. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think, and this kind of dates me a little bit, but we started, we played Planescape. We we started buying the material when it was first released, and it was. Like nothing you would, because we were used to Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance. That's all we played was Dragonlance, Dragonlance, Dragon, and then all of a sudden Planescape. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine going from Dragonlance to Planescape? It was a, it was a bit of a culture shock. Well, not <laughs> not only that, in terms of production, the art was different in Planescape, massively. Yeah, completely different, complete one eighty. So, Ian. I'm not going to give you flack for liking Forgotten Realms. Okay, thank to, you. <laughs> I happen to prefer Greyhawk more. However, if I was going to pick one, it is Planescape. It's just Planescape is everything. That's the entire D&D universe. It's every plane of existence. So I do love it, but I love the city more than I do the whole setting because sometimes you're not going to experience every plane. And the I'll say the only drawback that we ever experienced with Planescape, and I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but Planescape is not friendly to new players. We we had a couple of players that um we it, this was like the late '90s, I think, and there were a couple of newer players that we were, bring, were bringing in, and they weren't expecting that. That that's not what they were expecting. Um, so maybe that was a lesson in expectation management. But it it, it wasn't friendly in my experience to new players. Were they expecting like old sword and sorcery? They, they, that exactly. They were expecting the Forgotten Realm style Tolkien because Forgotten Realms kind of reminds me a little bit of Middle Earth, and and, and the, the and the dra- they were expecting Dragonlance. That's what they were expecting. Yeah, that's that's probably a conversation that should have come up before the game started. Yeah, so- exactly. So I, I'm not completely putting that 
in Planescape's corner is its fault. It, it, it should we should have had that talk, of course, but um, I, I think they were hoping to see a Greyhawk or a Forgotten Realms. They weren't expecting to see interdimensional travel. <laughs> Like, is this Stargate or? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I will also throw out that other than maybe a Ravenloft focused setting in terms of the main campaign or starting location, uh, Planescape is also like Ravenloft, the mess around and find out settings. Agree. Yes, yeah, I- I'll agree with that. Especially the, the what was it, the Lady of Pain? There's that. Oh, mm-hmm. She will roast you. Yep. You're done. No chance. We've had several conversations about her locking you inside of a maze for the next, what is it, 10,000 years or something? There was a very notorious player, not one of my players, just a story I heard about where, hey, I'm a minotaur, so I innately figure out how to get out of maze. I got you, Lady of Pain. It's like, okay, you innately figured it out. You're just going to be in there for the next 10,000 years because you're still going to walk it. <laughs> So yeah, there's a lot of cool lore. I know we were just we were t- discussing more setting, but throw out like you know any of the Vecna items, the hand of Vecna, any of the cool swords like Black Razor or you know the Wand of Orcus or just uh, the, the sword of the, sword of the Black Flame. That was a good yep. one. Yep, the Sword of Seven Stars and the Seven Star Swords, the Rod uh, of Seven Parts. Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Deck of Many Things. Love the Deck of Many Things. That has ended many games. That's ended many campaigns. The Deck of Many Things has. At least I'm not the only agent of chaos in the podcast. (laughs) Oh, come on, RC. Come on. (laughs) I'm a simple man. Bag of holding will do for me. (laughs) But overall, it's lore like that that you can do not only just campaigns, you can do multiple campaigns. Like, if you want to, like, destroy the Wand of Orcus, that's like at least a three campaign go around because it's not an easy task. Uh, Zach, you're not wrong because um, in one of our Dragonlance campaigns, we got a deck of many things and the um, our party wizard pulled the um, lost soul card where your soul is stolen and taken to another dimension. So we had to do a side quest to rescue our... It, it was a two-game side quest to rescue the wizard's soul so we could continue with the Dragonlance campaign. <laughs> Very good. Uh, next topic is modules. I know not everyone here has run either traditionally run modules or run them in the past. Uh, I have. I know Ian has. There are some I like more from a historical aspect, like what it did for the game. And some of them are just fun to run. Um, my favorite one to run, hands down, was Temple of Elemental Evil. I know I, I said I, I know I said I like Forgotten Realms, but as far as a like a like a module that you run from a book, it, the Temple of Elemental Evil was a lot of fun. It was a blast. I may be the odd man out um, as far as modules go, because I as like my DMing career, I guess, has gone along. I perpetually gotten lazier and lazier about running games. And I'm like, if I need to run something, I can just grab a dungeon somewhere and run it. Um, I've sort of inherited a couple of modules, but I wish I had ended up with more because I essentially put together a whole campaign of dragon-related modules. Um, 
and like the overall corruption that dragons cause on the world around them. But uh, my little brother recently got into DMing, so technically this is the third generation of DMs. Woohoo! Uh, oh, that's awesome. And I gave him a module that you guys could probably find somewhere because I actually have all the tokens still for it and the map, and it's the quest for the silver sword. Real basic. Comes with a. It came with a poster map. It gives you a breakdown of all the kinds of monsters that you will run into, how to run them if certain events happen, and specifically how many of them are in a dungeon. So, uh, I think I told Zach about it recently. Like, if you run a dungeon that's in a small, cramped, confined space, say a castle, if you make noise, things will come. And I, I really miss that, and a lot of modules still, like, give you that opportunity where it's like, yeah, if you guys are making noise, something's going to show up, and it, it's something that gets lost in the modern D&D settings. Um, as far as mean modules, homebrew, baby. That's all I know. <laughs> I respect <laughs> that. Call of Duty was when I started modules. <laughs> And totally respect that. And there's nothing against that. I, I homebrew for almost my entire time with fourth edition. So a lot of them I like from the historical aspect. Like we got a lot of good game design out of it. Uh, my my favorite is uh, Tomb of Horrors and not because I'm a terrorist. It's because I like that it's a challenge giving to the player. Doesn't matter what your character is. It's to the player playing it. It is the Kobe Rashi Maru of D&D. I, I agree. I I I I will. I I gotta I gotta find the right way to word this because I like playing Tome of Horror, but man, it's it's brutal, but it's brutal in a good way. I mean, part of that is like I you are I upfront tell you that's what we're doing. I don't don't surprise anyone with the Tome of Horror. Just don't. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't, uh, don't go in there with a character that is, you've spent hours crafting and working on a backstory and have aspirations. Don't do that. Just walk in with a guy in a ten foot pole and hope yeah. for the best. The, the, this is a pre this is a pre made character kind of kind of thing. Yeah, this uh, but, is this is not your level ten. I'm throwing you in there now. <laughs> I will I admit. I do like the sorry, and I do like the session where um, we go in and our wizard had I don't know some crazy robes. I forget the name of it, Zach. But, robes of the Magi. Yes, and so for whatever reason, we walk through this portal holding hands like a bunch of dweebs, and uh, we ended up being teleported outside. You know, just in our birthday suits. And they're all like crumpling, like, no, the world is over. And me and the barbarian are just looking at each other like, all right, man, let's tool some people up on the road, get some get some weapons. And we know there was like some coins under um, some church pews in there. And then we'll go back to town. And we already had a plan cooking. And I, I just thought that was a, a funny moment. If I recall, the wizard cried for 40 minutes. Yes. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow. Lost will, those robes, man. 
I will say that uh, the first time that I got to play Tomb of Horrors was Zach running it not that long ago. And I loved the character that I walked in with it because I was like, Hey, Zach, how about, uh, how about I play a um, an intellect devourer that's living inside of another character so that if somebody dies, I can take over their body? <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. To be fair, I did offer you that you just play Flazer Blue disguised, disguised as someone as well. Which probably would have ended the game a little bit faster, and it would have been amazing. <laughs> Uh, the next topic, uh, we've kind of covered it, but I'm still going to lay it out there. Uh, I just want to cover second edition in general. I do; th- It is my historically favorite edition. Not necessarily mechanic-wise. I think they put the best lore out and some of the better books out. And we specifically called out my main topic of It's Planescape. Yeah, it second edition was was kind of where I started. And um, I, I kind of started building a homebrew world in second edition around the late nineties. And my group and I, we resisted switching to third edition for a long time. We, it it took a while before we moved over to anything third edition related. We, we were playing second edition uh, up until at least 2003, 2000, 2002 or 2003. It took us a while to switch over. Very resistant. Feel like me and Pat are going to be the ones that don't have a whole lot to say about second edition, but um, <laughs> it, at least from my experience, like I've always wanted to go back to the older styles of D and D, just to you know dip my toes in the water. And um, recently, I picked up Morkborg, and it's sort of like a throwback to first edition D and D. But uh, if you guys ever get interested in running a second edition of the game, it's definitely going to be on my list of things to hop in on. Okay, now that you've said that, I mean, I wish I still had some of my second edition, but I don't have any of my second edition material anymore. But now that you've said that, RC, I, yeah, I, I'm, I, I, I might have something cooking. I might have something cooking now. Part of me wonders if it's somewhat because I feel like uh, things like Dungeon Crawl Classics and um, a buddy of mine he has this uh, one called Old Cool Old School Essentials, where uh, I don't know if Second Edition had Thaco, where the AC was inverted from it what did. we're using. Yes, now. that's it. that's where no. that's from. It, yeah, a lower <laughs> AC was better. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, it, when it you started getting your when, when you. Yeah. No, you started getting your AC into the negatives. Yeah. And that's something you want. Yes, you want that. That's good. Yeah. yeah. If, I rec- if I recall, a Will-O-Wisp had negative 14 or 16, and Demi Gorgon yeah. had like 18 or 20. You, you were never hitting them. Yeah, no. it's not happening. If it helps, mm-hmm. there's a really easy conversion for people that are like, I'm not doing the Thacko math. <laughs> people like me, hearts. <laughs> Now, to be fair, when I li- like put in second edition in this topic list, it's just like everything that came out for second edition mechanics, I'm not as sold on. It's not that I hate it. It's just everything that kind of came out in second edition was probably just prime D&D, like where D&D like really evolved and went forward. Yeah, it, the, it was just, man, sky's the limit, man. There was so much good stuff back then. 
Okay, next topic. I'm sure we'll all have at least something to say about this. Uh, 3.5 or Pathfinder. I'm going to go with the mechanics, specifically the changes to well, removing of Thaco to get, you know, fort saves, reflex saves, all the skills. It was a big deal. Um, As far as mechanics, because I'm dragging up my memories, because it's, it's been like a long time. Um. I do remember liking how, and I played for just a little bit, how spellcasters seem to be a little bit more balanced in 3.5. Like, really, in the very beginning, they were just bad and kind of had to be babysat until they started, like, getting into, you know, what a true caster could be. Because I, I remember um, a buddy of mine, he had spent all his spells and we were in a dungeon. And we were at the big bad at the end, which was like a young black dragon. And like everybody was almost down. And he's like, I have no spells, right? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, well, I can't do anything. And someone's like, well, you can pick up a rock and throw it. And he did. And that was the final hit to kill the black dragon. So that was funny. (laughs) So. Once. I, I mentioned earlier that we we resisted third edition a lot. Once I switched over to three point third edition and then three point five, I was in for the long haul. In fact, I really just recently switched to fifth edition just within the past what Zach year two years probably we'll call it COVID. Yeah, that's a, that's a <laughs> yeah. close approximation. Yeah, we'll call it COVID. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, Ian, you might have a little less to say on this. Uh, fourth edition, I did like how they rebalanced and also cleaned up the game a little more. I know fourth edition is contentious. My argument is I think it came out at the wrong time. People weren't ready to leave 3.5. Uh, yeah, I, I completely skipped it. Completely skipped. Never played it. If if you guys don't mind me going back to a topic, because I, I was kind of spoiled for choice as far as 3.5 and Pathfinder was concerned. Um. Uh, so I didn't find Pathfinder until I had exhausted my willingness to run 5th edition, um, maybe six or seven years ago now, um, and I fell in love with it. I thought it fixed a lot of the issues that 3.5 had, and it left you spoiled for choice for character options that... I think it it was overall just 3.5 number two. Just the general improvement on everything that already existed there before. I like to call it 3.75. 3.75 is a good good way to call it. I, I love Pathfinder, RC. I, I, the, the, one, the one thing that sold me on Pathfinder, and Pat, you mentioned this earlier, is unlimited cantrips. Man, unlimited zero-level spells, dude. It, Oh, nice. <laughs> that, that, was, that was what wizards needed, was zero level spells, no limit. They, that's what they, and D6 hit dice. That's what they needed. Um, as far as fourth edition, this is where I, I really got my DMing feet wet. Um, and I had, you know, a little bit of 3.5 beneath me as going into it. And I heard, you know, all the old D&Ders, like, Oh no, this is garbage, and I'm just like, but I don't know, I like it. To me, a first level 
character in fourth edition felt like a fifth level character in 3.5 so there was definitely a power creep and um like a kudos that i would give fourth edition is you know i wasn't super big in tabletop gaming like as a kid my family didn't get together and play monopoly or whatever so like i was coming from the gaming world into D&D and I feel like a lot of the uh, mechanics in 4th edition felt like they like came straight from a uh, video game, you know, like World of Warcraft or something like that and helped me understand the whole tabletop setting as far as D&D is concerned. So I, I feel like that's where it kind of came from and it translated well in my mind. I'll uh, I'll second that, and it it may be an unpopular opinion, but I think that well, technically, there's another person that's spoken about this before. I think fourth edition's monsters over the long haul were what was technically supposed to have been designed for the editions that came after, um, because D and D has very much become a combat centric game in the more recent editions. Yes, it has. Fifth ed- fourth edition's monsters are combat centric. There's very little fluff that's given to them. Everything that was given to them is this is what they do whenever they're in a fight. This is how they fight. And if you wanted the tactic style combat game that they're trying to promote, Fourth edition's monsters were where you wanted them. And also the bloody condition that most had. And it was amazing. It was great specifically for that reason. If you're trying to get that effect where it's like combat has an oomph to it, or there's there's like a you guys need to take care of this now, or something else is bad is gonna happen. Fourth edition is where that really started to shine. And maybe because somebody just said it and I just now connected the dots like Final Fantasy Tactics and Ogre Battle and those old tactics games were my jam, like on the PlayStation one back in the day. So maybe that's why uh, fourth edition resonated with me quite a bit. And then I have an add on for fifth edition, uh, the development of advantage as a mechanic and inspiration being given by other players to each other or by the DM to someone is a very good thing. I think Call of Cthulhu having a double penalty or double bonus is better than advantage, but it had to come from somewhere. So I'm going to cite at least the fifth edition's advantage in there. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I like the, I like the advantage concept. Um, I think that works really well. And and also too the I, I have to agree with you too the I, I like the Call of Cthulhu bonus negative dice or whatever but um yeah the 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 advantage system I thought that was cool the advantage concept I'm gonna third on this as well there were old systems in place that I think was just kind of a leftover from older editions and so that was there was some crunchiness that was a little unnecessary. And it was something that was like, hey, you guys probably should have done this a while ago. It's a great idea. We're finally glad that it's here. 
And I'll force it as well, because it definitely streamlines things. Because, you know, like I said, coming from 4th edition, it's like, oh, I'm flanking. Oh, they're prone. You know, plus two, plus four, so on and so forth. Oh, you're one size larger, another plus something. And it's just like, it, you know, it's like, oh, you got advantage. Oh, you don't have an advantage. And then there goes a lot of the crunch. There goes streamline and play. That means more play, faster play, so on and so forth. So, yeah. Does anyone have anything else to say as the car rolls to the end of the block? Because otherwise we're leaving Nice Town. As far as it regards to 5th edition? 5th or anything we missed in D&D overall. I think, um, hmm, well, I was about to say it's a good introductory um, tabletop RPG, but I'd be lying. Let's go to Hate Town. (laughs) Sure. Or or taking the bus. One-way ticket. (laughs) Uh, For the listeners, this is the hate section. Be aware, we're not going to be cursing too much. I'm not going to say we're not going to be cursing at all, but this is definitely what we have to say about D&D and slap it around a little bit. And and for me, it's probably going to be slapping around Wizards of the Coast more than the actual D&D game. So, with that, should we allow Ian to go first? <laughs> hey, I, I'm not going to hog the mic here. Not at all. Well, good thing about format like this, we can always add more topics. Yeah. I'm going to start with an overall one, so this is not an edition-focused one. It has fluctuated through editions. D&D does not respect your table space or your time. The, amount, right. of, the amount of books you're expected to have at the table at any time yep. is a slog. Pat, I recall you carrying a huge canvas bag yeah. like just, for the chance, <laughs> just for the chance of you playing D&D. And, I, or well, I was going to say, uh, we talked out about this at length before the show. I'm looking around all this D&D merch because, uh, you know, I got all sorts of 5th edition player aids. And I'm just trying to get my money back at this point. So I'm trying to use all that I have. <laughs> as, uh, as this is something that actually began in 3.5 edition and anybody who's started in that edition is well aware of, there was a thing that was referred to as the DM bag. It was packed and ready to go whenever you had a game. And it probably had five or six books in it easy. The thing weighed 30 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. When when I was running second edition games, uh, I would probably have and, and keep in mind I run I, I ran a I ran a lot more homebrew in second edition. I, I'd probably have four books, maybe. But when I switched over to third edition, it, it definitely doubled, uh, for sure. I, and and Zach, to expand on what you're saying, they don't exp- they don't respect your wallet either because that I remember in my early my late teens, early twenties, I, I couldn't afford to to get some of the books that that were needed to run some of the stuff. Yep, that's def- cost is yeah. definitely a factor. And into the time aspect, it's the running meme. Hey, we walked around an entire country. It took five minutes. We went into combat for four hours. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I want to talk about combat for a minute. It is yeah. it drags on unnecessary. And me, I you know, I love to punch things. I love to spill blood, but it's just so conky, so slow. Because I mean, you know, we we've been playing other tabletop RPGs with um, Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, that combat's really fast and killy. Um, and Call of Cthulhu, like, it's pretty straightforward, simple, and fairly fast and killy. Well, Call of Cthulhu just removed the AC portion of it's just an opposed roll. It's, yeah. It, it takes out half the die rolling, technically even yeah. less of it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about you guys. Um, Zach, I'm sure you've had this. RC, you probably have. Pat, I don't know if this has happened to you yet. I've lost count of the number of game sessions I've played since I've started where the entire game session from beginning to end was just one fight. Um, It hasn't happened as frequently as you might think. Um, I would definitely have to take my shoes off to count how many times it's happened. But yeah, it's it's definitely happened enough times where it it's it's a problem. And the times where it where that wasn't the case, I wasn't running monsters or encounters the way that the game expects you to run them. Or it just gives you at face value. That's probably a good thing though. Um or the times, and this this may be leading into a topic that I have about where the game is at now. Um, and, and anybody that's played with me knows that I'm not exactly like the strongest storyteller, but I at least understand when story beats are relevant to what's going on, both for characters, for players, for the DM, for that matter. Especially if you're running a homebrew game, um where you're trying to hit on things, it's like, this is the important thing. You guys have to do something now, or like, this is your, this is your character's moment, so on and so forth. But there's, there's something that got lost. Like, I don't, I don't mind crunchiness or like the threat of death for a character. I think those are the defining moments and like the big stories that you get out of a character. Like, yeah, my character died sacrificing himself to save the rest of the party. That moment doesn't happen anymore. It It's almost irrelevant after 5th level, at least in terms of 5th edition. And 3.5, once you hit like 8 or 10, that moment doesn't exist anymore. Um, and that's something that's stuck around for a while now. And it, it's a reason that specifically like if I ever run another 5th edition game, I'm going to level cap you guys at 5th. Like, once you hit 5th, your character is either retiring or they're going to live until they die. Uh, yeah. I'll say that... I, what I, you're... I, have, I have two follow-ups on that, but I will wait for them to come in the future. Yeah, I think what RC's talking about, the whole, you know, I sacrifice myself to save the party or for the greater good you're only going to see that in something like Call of Cthulhu right now. Because in Call of Cthulhu, that situation could exist where uh, where I, I'm going to buy the party 
you know, just enough time to escape and it's going to cost me my life because I only have eight hit points. Zach, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I mean, I'm thinking of a lot of things. I will also point out that, Pat, you and RC have seen me skip combats because I didn't want to do them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have one more topic on time and then we can move into the next one. Uh, this is specifically in modules, and I'm going to throw out 5th edition a little early there. Uh, they don't respect my time when I have to rewrite all your work to make it make logical sense. I shouldn't have to buy a $60 campaign just to put in, you know, at least 40 hours of work just to fix it. Which is the whole point in buying a campaign anyways, right? <laughs> yep. Okay, this one is not a long topic, but it is long in D&D. It's probably the oldest hate topic in D&D. Dex is the Urstat. Oh god. Yeah. I I'm 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 so I'm I'm so sick. Uh, you guys, I I, I got to say this. I and <laughs> I I I ran a game. This was probably when I first moved to the beach I, I had moved away from home, found a group at work and they, they had played a little bit. All four of these people, their goal was to get the highest decks they could get all four of them. And, and that just set me off that that's, that's what started. It was my entire party was griping because they didn't have an 18 decks. Hey, Hey, you know what you should hit them with? Nothing but strength challenges. <laughs> yes, constitution checks and strength checks. <laughs> if this is any like point of reference, there, and this this is like jumping back to a thing that I talked about previously, where it was like the what if scenarios of the current edition. Um, if you were to make a character, there, me and my buddies of theory crafted characters together out of nowhere, like the. The rogue that rolls around in full plate mail with a with a great sword. It's a thing. You can do it with any of the classes in fifth edition and it works. That's the terrifying thing about it. Um, oh RC, I'm losing faith. I'm losing faith in fifth edition and I haven't even ran a game in it yet. If it makes you feel any better, remember how you were talking about the Tome of Battle? This is, again, jumping back to another thing. I made a monk that could fly at... He flew at, like, 240 feet around, and that's if he didn't dash. He could attack three times, and then keep moving without provoking attacks of opportunity on anything that he moved past. So heart palpitations. Yeah, he could run at a full 400, 460 square feet of movement every round, and he didn't get a tax of opportunity against him. It was it was bad. Killing this character yeah. now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I will say in terms of additions, fifth edition has slightly made this worse, not in armor class, but the reduction of skills where Dex seems to have the most still. Or at least most of the paltry number of skills that are available. Yeah, and talking about the reduction in skills, like 
how many moments have we had in fifth edition where it's like, I want to do this. Uh, what would that fall under? Uh, I don't know this one, <laughs> you know? And, and this may be a personal gripe coming from originally starting in third edition. Where did all the lore skills go? Yeah, agree. That uh, just to expand on that, RC. That's what fifth edition is missing for me is the skills, the skill list. But but I already said earlier, I'm kind of a skill whore. But but yeah, that that's what I'm missing the most. Even fourth edition had it, and that gets pooped on all the time. I don't think the designers were wrong from trimming some of the skills. And I do agree with that, especially we talked about this before, Zach, perception. Instead of spot, look, and listen. Instead of spot, look, and listen, yeah. Which I can agree with. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of physical skills that were dropped, but there are other ones that should have stuck around. Like, use rope is pointless. I, I understand why you would have it, but most characters don't need to have a specific skill for that. But there's things like swim. It's like, not everybody's a good swimmer. That's kind of important to know. Yeah. And the guy who's running around in full plate mail, he's not swimming. <laughs> I also think it would have been just as easy to reduce the skills, put a skill pool for each stat, which is another issue, and have some blanks so that random person that has use rope or some of those lore skills where it's not everyone's going to have can just write it in. Yeah. In which case, there's probably other role-playing game systems out there that fulfill that role. I believe it's called Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That That's primarily... <laughs> maybe one of the reasons why I I moved into Call of Cthulhu was, man, the skill set in that game is clutch. It's top-notch. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. RC has alluded to the next two topics. I'm going to combine them both. It was player power, the power of current PCs versus DMs, and it's not the adversarial nature of it. It's just their power versus what you can do, do with a monster, and player death. Ooh. You've, you've listened yeah. to my piece. It, monsters are a joke in 5th edition. You have to do so much to actually make them a viable threat for PCs. Even beyond just basic levels. Or they That's- weren't balanced to begin with and they just murder something. Yep. Um... <clears throat> My issue with player power is some of the newer classes and races are not in tandem or at parity with everyone else. And you can tell, and it throws the party off. It's in a very subtle way, but it throws it off, which changes how you build combat encounters, which monsters you use, and how you have those monsters activate. What was the Strixhaven owl race that's like dumb, strong? It's an it's an Allen. It gets limited flight. It gets a. It gets proficiency in stealth, and oh yeah, it gets dark vision because everyone and their mother gets dark vision and something else. Which does he, does he get like plus two and whatever? That's the new thing in fifth edition where 
you just get to pick two and get like two or one in it. There's no, it doesn't matter. Which that may lead to further gripes is that, it, and th- this is probably a personal pet peeve. You should not have flight before the wizard is able to cast the fly spell. There is no reason that you should have the access to flight before wizard has fly. Wow. Okay. So explain that. Cause what, what's this? That may be a holdover from like older editions where like even, even whenever 3.5 reached like critical masses of like, here's all the random stuff that your race gets. There were limitations. And I, I, I think it's specific. And the, negatives. The there were limitations and negatives. The Arakacraw, which is a direct transfer over to 5th edition. In 3.5, they aren't able to fly until 3rd level, which is when the wizard gets access to the spell fly. Specifically for that reason, to keep them at the same point. It's a, it's a mobility aspect that you shouldn't have access to. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you there. There's that 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 point at which wizard gets fly is pretty crucial and yes i don't think there should be something that gets it before that also i mentioned uh fighter champion guess what guys that should just be fighter that 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 class is that subclass is horrible just make it fighter just make it fighter it should just be fighter. Yeah, I feel like there's no point in b- taking champion. I feel like there's absolutely no point. Now, I uh, I pose this question to you guys: Do you think D and D, as far as from the players' end, is too s- too steeped in magic? There's too much magic. Magic isn't like a rare, wondrous thing. It's just like Josh. Every Josh has got it, kind of deal. I mean, so I guess a, it applies a, to that's setting, a setting but... argument. I'm not against it as a setting argument, which is why I tend to run lower fantasy campaigns, which is why I prefer like Warhammer Fantasy. I'm not against the abundance of magic, but it does lead to some painful encounters in terms of party design. And this, this, uh, not to hog the mic because I seem to be doing that. Um, but as somebody whose favorite setting for D&D is Dark Sun, where magic is not readily available, and typically magic that you come in contact with is as much a hindrance to you as it is a benefit. Yeah. There's too much that, magic. Yeah, that's, that, that's a campaign setting I'd like to see come back. It came back and forth. We just found out. We were talking about it earlier. And oh, I didn't um, realize that. And player death, like, do you guys feel like it should be permanent, or, or what's the, what's everyone's stance on player death? So play, player death doesn't bother me uh, from a PC perspective. Um, I, I I don't ever go into a game expecting to live. Honestly, it's anything can happen in a game. Um, when I'm DMing, um, I obviously. I don't want to kill the PCs. I don't want to, you know, purposely do it, but I'm, you know, I'm going to make you pay the price if you do something stupid. Yeah. 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 As far as player death for me, 
I'm just kind of like, oh, I get to make another character. That I I love making characters. Like, let's go <laughs> kill me any day. Um, and as far as uh, DMing or GMing it, uh, yeah, I just think like it's not a thing uh, a DM or GM should actively seek. Like, yes, I, I gotta I gotta kill this mofro. But it shouldn't be a thing that, like, you hold your hands from your players. I mean, obviously, like, you know, if Demigorgon's over there, some things should lead hint towards that this might be a thing. Don't go over there. And if the players, you know, just blow past it, then like, okay, well, yeah, you're dead. Um, Don't kick the dragon in the nose and, and then expect to live. Yeah. Hey, and sometimes your players just surprise you with uh, how lucky they are. I mean, I know uh, Zach and Ian got out of a particularly hairy situation whenever I was just... They told me what they were doing. I'm like, um... I don't know if y'all live, will live from this. I, I don't know if there's a way to live from this. Uh, <laughs> sir, has- sir, sir, I had enough luck in, in Pulp Cthulhu. I was okay. <laughs> Zach, I, I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want you to think that I w- I went into that encounter thinking that we were going to live. I-, I actually, full disclosure, I, I thought we were going to die. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> I will say for D&D, specifically 5th edition and D&D overall, I am never actively looking to kill a character. But RC has mentioned level 5. I would argue 10. After level 10, I pretty much literally have to drop a house on you to kill you. And I, I'm not an aggressive DM. I that, that may seem to be the case just based on the fact that I'm like, yeah, you should probably die at some point or another. But I, I at least want the threat to be there. So if something, if you guys come across a coven of hags, it's not like, no, 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 this isn't something you run into every day. Like, you guys could seriously die or something even worse could happen to you. You need to either win or learn to run. Or, you know, three to four trolls in an Etten that happened recently. Which we should not have won against. Wow, that, that, that story, I, that one was a complete shock to me, Zach. And what level? What level did you say that those characters were? Five or six. And this may be a future video. I, I'm not sure if this is something that's come up in your list, but alternate rules that we may have used because I totally would have had that Ed and just pick somebody up. It's like, oh no, you—he's picking you up. He's two sizes bigger than you. He's grabbing you and he's chucking you. Where is he chucking me? At another player. You have a nice time. Yeah, you just became a weapon. <laughs> and I was not looking to kill you guys in the ca- that encounter, and I wasn't saying you have to run or be terrified and you must run. It was more like no one at the table was worried. There was no stress in anyone's eye. It was just, okay. Well, I, f- I feel like that's kind of, um, I don't know, a thing. like, okay, I mean, I know we bring up Call of Cthulhu a lot, but, you know, there's things in Call of Cthulhu It's like, oh, you hear this or that, and it's like, all right, we're done. We're dead. Run. Versus in D&D, I feel like players have a tendency to just beat on whatever until they realize that they can't, and then go 
there, I don't know. There's a lot, lot less heed for danger, you know. Well, the ice is a lot more thin than Call of Cthulhu, man. You can't really experiment. No, no. And Pat, you had mentioned resurrection. I don't have a problem with with players having an access to that spell or the cost of that. My issue is the plethora of stopping the player from dying at all. There are so many like safety nets, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Also, the fact that it, according to one D&D, which we're not going to super focus on, but I'll mention it, that uh, Bardic Inspiration also heals now. So it's even harder to kill someone. Oh, man. Well, really? They just have to be able to hear you. But we have had a conversation about this. They can't hear you if they're unconscious. Oh, yeah. I like, yeah, I like that. Someone has used the silent spell. Guess you're dead. <laughs> which, which came up in the Tomb of, the, uh, not the tomb of Horrors, the Temple of Elemental Evil. Silence is bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where do, where do y'all weigh in on bards? I've never played one. I've had a few in my groups, and I'm just kind of like, I don't know. Okay, but... I, I've I've played a bard a couple of times. Here, here's where people go wrong with bards. Pat is they make a bard, they roll it up, and they want to play it. They want to play a combat character. They want to mm-hmm. play a combat. Bards are not combat characters. They they want their bard to get in there and mix it up, and it's not going to. Bards are support characters, and people want to play bards. They want to get in there and, you know fight and to do all this and that and that's not what bards do their utility this may be a character story but i will admit my favorite character that i've ever played and it was pretty much just run-of-the-mill character for D fifth edition was the dominatrix drow bard that constantly was commanding people to kneel it was so much fun <laughs> The only time I've played a bard was in Pathfinder, and we didn't have a cleric. And God, was it a rough road as the only healer. I was going to say, the the party's only healer was a bard? Wow. Now, what do y'all think about... Should parties need healers, or... Like, what? I mean, because I... Whenever it, I deal it is, with it, it, is in, it is expected in current combat encounter design. Uh, okay. We've definitely we've definitely ran parties in third edition three. I mean, even second edition, we've ran um, we've ran games with no healer before. I, I've uh, done I, once before, but I um, also implemented like I don't know. There was a readily available health potions kind of deal. I mean, they had to pay pay for them, but. They were available. I'll I'll agree with Pat on that. Like uh, honestly, I've even running games. I've had more fun when there isn't a healer. Agree. I agree with that. Same. I'm gonna change when we do one topic because it makes me really mad, and I want to save it for the end. Uh, the next one. This is super fifth edition specific. The Dungeon Master's Guide is worthless. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of mites and maybes, and you could do this, and you could do that. 
if you guys don't mind me briefly touching on a subject, because I've mentioned I'm the laziest DM possible, there is a very small section where it assists you in rolling a random dungeon. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there is a free option available online called Dungeon that will assist you with that process with none of the work. So you're saying the only useful thing about the DM's guide can actually be found free on the interweb? Yes. Sir, 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 there are artifacts in the DMG, but those are also on the internet. Available online? Yeah, I'd I'd have to say it's my least used um, book in the collection. I mean, Player's Handbook is always, you know, first thing grabbed. And then, obviously, Monster Manual for looking up your baddies. But after that, you know, that thing's collecting dust. My my issue is that they argue, like, oh, it has all these options. There's, like, a fear option and a sanity option, all these other options. Like, we're talking less than a paragraph of maybe a concept that was baked in a microwave for two seconds. I'll admit, I never purchased the Dungeon Master's Guide for 5th Edition in the nine-plus years that I ran it. And as far as the sanity and the fear options... I have found better written stuff done by third parties in reference to other source material. Uh, more specifically, uh, a modification of 5th edition to work within the Darkest Dungeon franchise where your sanity is based on your current health. Oh, that's cool. Cool. So once you hit zero, it stuff starts to get bad. The only reason I own the Dungeons Master's Guide is Green Mold. Like green Slime is no longer a creature. That is literally the only reason why I own them. We talked about leaving skills. I'm going to go with editing. The editing of all the 5th edition books is horrid. They don't give you any page numbers, or any page references. They barely give you any connected monsters. You have to buy a separate book or just flip through it all day. So this is where my gripes with the company Wizards of the Coast comes in is they're in and we I've I've kind of got on my soapbox about this before but just like your typical American corporation they're they're running it like a corporation milking the consumer for all the money that we're worth it's it's not about the experience anymore it's not about the game it's about the bottom line, the corporate shareholders, are our stocks up? Is everybody making money? That's they've turned it in. They've turned it into a full fledged American business. Yeah, just like I mean, just like our uh, video gaming industries, just like our killed it, um, killed it, killed it. business know, killed it. Television, movies, it's. Uh, you know, everyone, everything's going the route of microtransactions and hidden fees and all this extra just corporate bullshit. And it's it's not about the art of it or, you know, like, if we look at Chaos, Chaosism's products for Call of Cthulhu, like, you feel that these people are passionate about it and they put effort into it and they like they like and enjoy the product that they make. And I don't need wizards to tell me that they like me or hug or give me a kiss. But put a page reference if you're going to bold section in a statement. Like, please refer to this. Put a page reference right there. 
like do they do they play test these modules from uh, people that aren't the creators? Pat, that's the problem. The people at Wizards of the Coast never play D and D. They don't play D and D. They've never played it. They don't come from a history of role playing. They are business people. They're business people. They're not gamers. Ian, okay. to be correct, I believe all the recent heads are the guys from Microsoft, the guys from Microsoft Office that switched it to the free platform. So you got to pay for it every year instead of just, you know, once in your lifetime. Yeah, it's just shot callers making decisions that you know they don't they don't see the long-reaching consequences for versus somebody that actually like didn't enjoy the game. Those guys are probably on the totem pole. The the only thing that a Wizards of the Coast executives executive knows about their market or their consumer is what their marketing department tells them. They've never come in contact with a gamer. They've never talked to a gamer. They are just a suit. They're a suit there to raise the stock option. They might have heard about D&D from uh, Stranger Things, maybe. Yeah, pop culture. That's it. That's all they know. Now, Ian, I'm not saying that the soapbox needs to go away. Do like park it somewhere. It's going to come out for a while. I just have one more topic to move before we get to probably the big one. So next up, adventure design, which is definitely one of the big pet peeves of mine. The fact, and there are two facts. A 5e adventure design is everyone gets on their little Disney ride. They get safely put in their little cart and they get to ride from level one to level 10 and face things they should never face at those levels and win. Zach, I love the fact that you described it as a Disney ride. That's exactly how fifth edition reads to me. It's a small girl. Yep, it's a don't, small word after all. Yeah, don't have a lot of experience playing it. Never DM'd it. But it reads a lot like a, a safe, cuddly Disney ride. Well, I haven't played Curse of Strahd yet, but, you know, it's one of the renowned adventures. And from what I understand, from what I've been told, essentially what you do there doesn't really matter. Like, everything just resets. That's at the very end. Yeah, they basically tell you, hey, like uh, 30 days later, Strahd comes back and everything resets. So there's that aspect. Mine is like, mine is the you face things at levels you should never face. If you played an older edition, we're going to go fight Arl. You're dead. What over like level 10? You're mega dead. You're mega dead, dumb dead. And then after we fight Arl, we fight a Dimulich. Okay, well, your corpses are like corpsified. Like you. Double corpse. you're done. You're you're like erased. You work for that lich now. Me and Zach had this conversation. The biggest threat to you is the shadows. Oh yeah, there's like seven shadows in that cave. That'll kill you too. But no, like yeah, we fought a god. Let's go fight a Dimulus. Yeah, you fought like a weak five e sad god, and then fought an actual Dimulus. Maybe it was one of that Dimulus's phylacteries, and it was just like a shadow of it. <laughs> Oh no, you gotta fight a Sirak. Well, in Lich forms, like he's pretty powerful. It's okay, guys. 
If you do some of the MacGuffin stuff, you guys get 50 temporary HP around that stacks, even though all the other times it doesn't. He might have a hard time killing you because you get healed 50 HP a turn. Maybe set. What happened in 3.5 where if you got within, like, you know, 10 feet of him, he dealt, what was it, 5d10 necrotic damage just for getting close to him? Well, pretty close. And this is this is Lich walking around a Cyric. This is not Demi Lich Cyric where you just die. Yeah. Also, Pat, you brought up part of my second point. The number of 5th edition books that are either subtle callbacks or complete and utter callbacks to prior modules is massive. And while I do love I6 Ravenloft, and it was the most playtested and probably one of the most famous original D&D modules, everyone needs to stop sucking its dick. Because you have that, and it's literally, hey, this is from a previous edition. Oh, look, it's Tales from the Iron Portal. Okay, that's five classic adventures. Again. Oh, it's Dungeons the Mad Mage. That's just Undermountain. Again. I will say yeah. they haven't done Isles of Dread yet. So that at least has still been saved. Yeah, I but do I feel like I see the same stuff being churned out and re-churned out a lot. Ian, what if there were four princes of elemental evils and you had to go to a temple and face them? What if? That is Princes of the Apocalypse, by the way, which is literally just Temple of Elemental Evil again. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. (laughs) Okay, Ian, you got that soapbox? Always. Okay. (laughs) The unnecessary changes to 5th edition. And I do mean unnecessary. I I mean for little or no mechanical gain. I'm referring to the changes from race to species, the removal of any negative modifiers on your race and character creation, or the even better one like, no, 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 you can just put your two, two ups in anything. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that I remember when you told me that it's it's you get the plus two or whatever to to your but you don't even have to put it where it traditionally goes for that race. I I I don't I don't I guess I just I'm I'm kind of my mind's kind of blown by I guess is it kowtowing? What why are they doing this? Can 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 you help me out there? The argument given. I want to play an orc wizard and I shouldn't take the intelligence negative. Well, I mean, that's how it is. Orcs are traditionally less intelligent. And I, I do want to briefly point out clerics and wizards of Grumsh are still definitely a thing. And dude, a, a cleric of a, a cleric of the orc of the orc god is nothing to scoff at. That man has banishment. They start with banishment. I believe the Skyrim quote from the dragon Parthenax is, isn't it better to strive and become better than you were? It's not the exact quote, but the equivalent. Wow, character growth. If only 5e actually promoted that. 
something else that's missing. And Zach, I think you were, someone was telling me about one of the books got re-released and all they did was change a couple of sentences. That would be uh, Curse of Strahd. That's the one. It was offensive to the Romani people because gypsies are gypsies. And by the way, I have nothing against gypsies or the Romani people, but... The nomadic people of Eastern Europe. (laughs) Also, hey guys, if you pay your editors more and actually edit your books, you don't need three full-time staff cultural consultants on your work. That's a contractor you bring in maybe two different ones on a book and then you never see them again. Not a full-time employee. Also, if your editor was doing their job, you probably wouldn't have racist art in one of your recent books. Also, you shouldn't have to pay to get the errata that removes your offensive content. Oh, that's a that's another good point, Zach. I didn't even think about that. Like if if it's if it's offensive content, it should just be, you know, whoops, sorry, here you go. Here's the replacement. Wait, wait. You have to pay for erratas to your digital copies? Yes. It's it's not just updated? Or the physical copies. Pat, it's a business, man. Pat, it's a business. Jesus. It's a business. Also remember remember the D and D charges full price for PDFs. Yep. Oh, it's a business. It's a business. Well, oh, sorry we goofed up, but um, give us more money because you know we goofed up. So sorry for you. <laughs> we needed another sixty dollars for an underdeveloped throwback. Yep. Got oh, those. Uh, got the. <laughs> Yep, got those uh, got those shareholders we got to pay. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I don't want to put this into the atmosphere, but uh, Watsi might take it from, and they might have already taken the idea from G-Dub, have a subscription service so you can look at all their books digitally and they'll update them there. Pat, it's called D&D Beyond. They bought it, and you can also buy oh. dice skins while you're there. You can uh, skin your dice. But they won't transfer to the uh, the virtual tabletop they'll put out for one D&D. No idea. Oh, that's... Oh, come on. That's that's asking too much, RC. It's old Dougery. <laughs> but yes, I think the general opinion we all have is it's not that we hate D&D. We can definitely see Watsy ri- like ringing it like an orange. There's very little support in the product it makes it a lot of effort to run there's there's definitely business practices in place we can't really continue to be like yep that's fine yeah it's well, I, I i think as you guys can probably you've probably gotten the idea already but i'm not leaving D and I'm leaving i'm leaving wizards of the coast yeah i mean and just like from what we've heard in the news recently, the new CEO going, oh, we need to monetize D&D more. It's like, oh, God, what's in our future? What kind of microtransactions would we expect? The changes to the open gaming license where people were 
freely making content for you guys to help promote it. And now you made it, they have to pay for it if they ever actually get a profit out of it for the time and money that they put into it that was... Sir, 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 sir you, you give them an irrevocable permanent license to anything you've ever made under it. Yep. Oh, so it's retroactive as well. Yeah. Oh, boy. So Cobalt Press is going to get the shyster, and I think they've they've honestly put out a lot of the really great content that actually made 5e playable for for me as the dm this is one of the ones where i'm going to say let's wait for the course to decide because looking in all my books yesterday starfinder still uses the open game license and you know watsy wants to stick it to paizo hate to tell him paizo might win this well, all I can say is uh, vote with y'all's hobby dollars, you know. Don't um, yep. just just get, you know, support these lesser companies that you enjoy their products and enjoy what they do and let the let the big dogs uh, cannibalize themselves or whatever they are want to do. And while we may have called out Call of Cthulhu a whole bunch, and I will support that game and I do love it, Definitely support the games that give you either a free PDF or brick and mortar where you get a free PDF if you pick up their book. That's a tiny way to show that the publisher cares more often than other ones. Or if they give you more than what D&D offers with their products. And you can tell a lot. Like the number of screens, like DM screens or adventure screens, that come with more than just the screen. D&D has definitely got you to the point where you, they are making you pay for the bare minimum. And they're going to do the bare minimum. It's sad. Very disappointing. Yeah. I, we've had this conversation to beat the dead horse to death again. It would be great if they made maps that we could actually use for our players. Because at one point or another, that was something that D&D actually cared about, but it's not now. Came in every book. Yep. I, I remember back in the day, you couldn't, all the, the stuff that like TSR used to make, you couldn't, you, it, you'd be hard-pressed to find a book without a map in it. Yep. And often it was a box with a series of maps. And a series of books. <laughs> Books and maps and screens and sleeves and it didn't and, break the bank. And not to mention, yeah, you you paid sixty dollars for a campaign that was fleshed out and it gave you the tools to run it for your players in a way that made sense. And maybe some notes to support you. Well, again, it goes back to when that content was being created, gamers were making it. Gamers are not making content now at well, Wizards not, of the Coast. Not only that, the there has been a big push to the DM can just fix it. Like, no, I didn't pay for that. I don't. I don't have an extra week of hobby time. I, I, I don't. I yeah. I don't have an extra forty hours to dump in to fix your product. I get paid more than what I paid for your product in order to do that. Uh, Bob World Builder. Hey, I have a twenty-part series, twenty-plus part series on how to effectively run 
Rhyme with a Frost Maiden. Future video. Don't. <laughs> yeah. I can do it for you in one. <laughs> I mean, and, he, he's the one that made the videos and then later said, don't even bother. That, wow. And I may, be, I may be reaching out to, like, what really, like, pushed me to be a better DM when I was actively DMing. God bless Matt Coville. That man has put in so much work to try to make 5e make sense or give it more substance than it already has. And even he's starting to jump ship. This has been the topic for the evening. Uh, Join us for our next episode where we cover pet peeves. Oh, that's going to be a good one. Thank you all for listening.